is an Odyssey original. This is Coronavirus Daily World on Pause. I'm Charles Feldman from the KNX Odyssey Studios in Los Angeles. And I'm Mike Simpson. Pandemic led to a surge of mental health issues, anxiety, a big one, lots of uncertainty about bad things happening, death, sickness, job loss. Everything closed. Now things are slowly getting back to normal, but a lot of people having trouble leaving their homes now. Anxiety has a new name, cave syndrome, when it comes to this. We'll also discuss herd immunity and whether people should keep wearing masks. As we get back to normal, things like weddings and proms coming back. That's good news for business. And the pandemic has had an upside for people who appreciate the backside. We start with mental health. Dr. Kathleen Smith, licensed therapist and author of the book, Everything Isn't Terrible, Conquer Your Insecurities, Interrupt Your Anxiety, Finally Calm Down. Doctor, a lot of us have been inside so long, I guess it's kind of natural, some fears of going back out. Yeah, I mean, we're not the best conversationalists. We have to learn how to be around other humans again who also might be anxious, and that can be challenging. So from a practical point of view, Somebody who has been sort of cloistered at home uh, for the better part of this past year, do they kind of take it one step at a time? Do they just or do they do, you know, the old thing about if you want to learn to swim, just kind of, you know, shove yourself into the pool and and hope you don't drown? Do you just go out there and, and take the plunge? Yeah, you know, with my therapy clients, I'm seeing a little bit of both. I think people can easily overschedule themselves and find out they actually don't want to hang out with everyone anymore (laughs) or that uh, it makes them a little more nervous than it used to. So um, I think people just need to remember that, you know, other people might be kind of flaky too. They might cancel plans on you. Uh, Just everybody needs to cut each other some slack because we're all kind of finding our way through a new reality. (laughs) Is it that we sometimes feel socially awkward to begin with or is it that now this seems new because it's been so long or maybe, and you know, on top of all this, We've all kind of trained ourselves that as soon as someone coughs, we go, oh, no. But even post-vaccine, maybe that's still a little bit wired in our heads, right? You hear a cough, you go, oh, 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 that guy's coughing over there. Yeah, I think it it takes some time to be objective again and to evaluate what's a real threat and what's not anymore. And how do we be connected to each other? And I think only sort of being in it and and time will allow that to happen. Well, I mean... uh... Take you, for example. Uh, Do you find yourself being anxious going back out? Maybe you weren't uh, uh, staying at home all the time, but do you find yourself more uneasy than than you used to be going out and dealing with the public? You know, as a vaccinated person, I find that I have to retrain my brain to reevaluate what's a threat. You know, if I'm I'm in a grocery store and it's a little bit crowded, you know, I might respond differently now than I did a couple of months ago. But that takes time to be able to kind of relearn that in your mind. Is there also a lesson here on not being too hard on yourself? Like maybe you're not ready for the inside restaurant yet. So go eat outside. That's fine. You can eat outside. It's not a big deal. Absolutely. And I also think, you know, when we get anxious, we tend to want to direct everyone else and tell them what to do. So, you know, my other advice is to focus on yourself. Don't worry about what everyone else is doing. And if you think others should be socializing more, being more careful, maybe just kind of keep your eyes on yourself. And I think that's what calms people down the most. Are are there particular demographic groups that are more prone to this anxiety? You know, I don't think so. I think um, people who... um, you know, maybe have kids 
I think they have, because their kids aren't vaccinated, they have sort of this extra anxiety weight on them of, am I a risk to my kids or my kids are at risk? And so I think parents have sort of got an extra helping of that lately. All right. Dr. Kathleen Smith, a therapist, author of the book, Everything Isn't Terrible, Conquer Your Insecurities, Interrupt Your Anxiety, Finally Calm Down. Are we going to see another surge? What about getting together with others indoors and outdoors? We're going to talk about this and other topics with Dr. Michael Osterholm, Director of the Center for Infectious Disease Research and Policy, University of Minnesota. He was a member of the President's COVID-19 Advisory Board. So, Doctor, first off, how do we know if the worst of the pandemic is behind us? Well, I'm quite confident, based on the percentage of people vaccinated to date, and with the number of people who have been infected, that we're not going to see any surges in cases similar to what we've seen in, in uh, India in recent days. I think that one's off the table. That wasn't really clear uh, before we had this impressive vaccine rollout to date. Remember back in uh, January, early on, we were having a debate in this country, would it be possible for the administration to deliver on 100 million doses of vaccine in 100 days? Well, in fact, they delivered on 220 million. Now we're at a point, though, where while there is substantial protection in the country, we still have big gaps. Uh, you know, having 50% of the population with one dose of vaccine uh, in the 40s to even high 30s with uh, two doses or full dose, uh, if it's uh, the J&J vaccine, still leaves large pockets of people not yet vaccinated. And so we've got a lot of work yet to do to make sure that we don't have more Michigan-like events or even Minnesota that went through a, a surge uh, in April. And so it's, it's good news, but it's, we've got a ways to go yet. I was going to ask you, what does it like functionally look like if we don't get past a certain wall of vaccine hesitancy? Is it just outbreaks here and there moving through these communities where the, the shots haven't gotten into all the arms that they need to get into? Yeah, that's exactly it. Uh, just think of it this way. You know, I personally have in, uh, overseen investigations of large measles outbreaks right here in our home state of Minnesota over recent years. And this is a, a situation where 92 to 93 percent of the population is vaccinated as young children. Uh, we want measles is a highly infectious virus. Uh, it found basically those three to six percent of people who weren't vaccinated, if they tended to live in the same neighborhoods, went to the same schools, had other social cultural reasons, they were together. And what we're concerned about is with these new variant uh, viruses that we see associated with COVID-19, these are much more highly infectious. And because of that, it's very possible that you could obtain, you know, 80, 85 percent protection in your community from vaccination or previous infection and still have some pretty notable outbreaks. And so this is what we have to do is we have to keep on this to make sure that we get as many people vaccinated as possible. You're talking about the variants. I think that's the the one issue that that for lay people is the most perplexing because a lot of people, and maybe that's also driving some of the vaccine hesitancy because there are some people who say, well, you know, why should I get the vaccine now? There are these variants. Uh, I'm only going to have to go again in, you know, five months or six months and get it again. And if, and if I get the vaccine, I'm still going to get, you know, deathly ill. Can we maybe uh, you that actually not me, can you clear up for people listening if you're vaccinated, whether it's Moderna, Pfizer, Johnson & Johnson, any of the ones below us are the only ones available in this country, um, what does that actually mean vis-a-vis -vis these variants? Yeah, really an important question. 
Uh, let me just uh, take a step back and just help everyone remember what a variant is. These are viruses that are mutating. Every time this virus reproduces itself, it makes mistakes. Up until November, we used to think those mistakes were of little health consequence to the individuals, like describing red cars, blue cars, green cars, they're all the same car, just different color. Then in November, we begin to understand that, wait a minute, they do have impact on how the virus is transmitted between people and how sick they get and whether the vaccines or natural infection protect you. The good news is while we have variants that fit all, in all three of those buckets, more transmissibility, uh, more severe illness, and are able to escape the immune protection to some degree of the vaccines and natural infection, now the primary variant that we see circulating in the United States is only in that first two buckets, more severe disease and more transmissibility. Actually, the vaccines work really good against that one. So that's exactly why you do want to get vaccinated because you don't want to get that one that is much more highly transmissible and cause more serious illness. So, so I think this is actually an important message to get out to the public. Please do not hesitate to get your vaccination because of the variant. It's just the opposite. You want to get in yesterday to get your shot for that reason. A lot of people are wondering how to operate out in the world, even post their second shot. So what level of risk is, is really out there for them? And look, we've, we've run the numbers, right? Point zero zero something percent. Do you just need to sit and think of that? Or is there a better way to present it to people? Well, actually, it's a combination of factors. And one has to look at, first of all, how effective are the vaccines? And in the trials, we saw that they were 95% effective in terms of protecting people in that trial. Now, in real world use, where we're not selecting only the healthiest people to participate, uh, people who have underlying health conditions are often not included, we'll see that number drop. It could be in the high 80s. That is still a very, very effective vaccine. When you're talking about vaccinating millions of people and the potential for all of them to become infected, you're going to expect to see a number of people who, for which the vaccine does not fully protect them. But even when you may get sick, it, uh, we have data now supporting that you have a, a much lower likelihood of going into the hospital or dying from the vaccine. So don't be deterred from getting it for that reason. Just know at the same time, it's not going to be a perfect uh, solution for protecting you against all exposures. So what does that mean? Well, that means, you know what, if you're with other vaccinated people in a private home, as I say often, party hardy, go for it. Spend as much time <laughs> with these people. Enjoy it. <laughs> If on the other hand, you in particular may be at high risk for serious disease, um, you have underlying health conditions that could make it so that you might get much sicker. You know what? If I were vaccinated, I still wouldn't want to go to a, uh, an indoor bar today yeah, with lots of people around with the transmission levels we're still seeing in some parts of the country. And so I think it's going to be a, a, a kind of a dance here for a while where we're trying to figure out just exactly for my particular protection, what do I need to do versus others? And uh, I think at this point, it's also clear that we can all go outdoors, spend time out there, and feel confident that you're protected there. But indoor, if there's lots of people, you don't know if they're vaccinated or not, I, I would be very cautious about that, particularly if I had an underlying health problem that would make it I'm more likely that I would get really sick if I got infected. Well, and and to pick up on that, because certainly lots of listeners that we have, uh, I'm sure a lot of them have different kind of comorbidities, right, as doctors refer to that. Uh, but if they're vaccinated, would not the vaccinations mitigate those comorbidities to su a substantial degree? Absolutely, it does. And let me just be clear about this. Imagine the following. I'm a firefighter. 
I've got a fireproof suit on that protects me 90 to 95%, okay? That's a pretty darn good uh, suit to have. But would that mean I would willingly go walk into a 10-foot wall of flames? No. You know, I would still be cautious. I would still, uh, you know, go fight the fire. I'd sure feel a lot better protected and would be protected against that, you know, two-foot fire or whatever happened. And so what we're saying is with the vaccine, if, in fact, you still have a risk factor for getting severely ill, then you want to take that in mind, knowing that the vaccine may work 99% you know, percent of the time, not all the time. And that's where we say that I think modifying one's behavior a bit is about really protecting yourself. So for the vast majority of us, uh, even if we did get infected after we got vaccinated and we didn't have an, a risk factor for underlying serious illness, you know, we might get sick. But the, just at the same time, remember, the vast majority of people will be fully protected with the vaccine. And I mean, how many times did all of us go out to eat before and live our lives? And, and I didn't get ever cancel plans worrying that I was going to, to get sick by going to see people. So, you know, if I'm healthy and I'm vaccinated, then maybe that's my answer, right? Because I was never worried before. Yeah. yeah. Well, I think, you know, what one is worried about uh, and what one should be worried about, sometimes are not one and the same in terms of what we know. And so all I would say again is, is that, um, you know, as long as you're around other people who are vaccinated, you can get together in closed indoor spaces, uh, feel confident about that. If you're outdoors, feel confident that you're largely protected if you're not all aggregated in one little spot. And uh, even indoors, in many instances, you'll be fully protected, but in some cases you won't be. And if that particular exposure is to likely to result in potential serious illness, then you want to avoid it. Are we getting any closer to finding out how often we have to be uh, revaccinated or, or do we just have to wait as time goes by? At this point, we're waiting. Uh, and I say that only because the data we have so far is only about six months old. Remember that, uh, you know, we really didn't start vaccinating uh, many people until about six months ago. We are following it, and the first data out at six months says, yeah, these vaccines are still really quite protective. So, uh, you know, we'll, we'll know more at a year. We'll know more at 18 months. The other thing that we're looking at is not just do you get waning immunity, meaning that it just reduces over time, but are these variants going to cause some type of specific action that would reduce the protection of the vaccine? And um, in this case, uh, we have more and more data coming in and saying, you know, there may be some reduction in protection, but boy, it still is really good. And it, if at the very least, it'll protect you against hospitalization or deaths. So, you know, this should not be a deterrent for getting the vaccination because you say, well, it's not going to work anyway. That's not true right now. All the data we have says both in time and against the variants, it still works. That could change as we get more data in the future, but for now, it get vaccinated. When you look at us here in Los Angeles, and we've flipped, as we mentioned at the top, from worst to really like the best in the state, um, what happened? Was it that so many people actually got this during the surge, so now we have natural immunity added with the vaccines? You know, we don't know. And uh, it was important we say that. Um, we have states right now where we know we have a number of people who are still susceptible to the virus, meaning they haven't been nearly enough infections. In fact, right now there are 13 states that have less than 50% of the adult population with even one dose. And there are six states right now that have less than 45% of the population with even one dose. But yet we're not seeing big outbreaks. But don't forget this virus is on virus time. It's not on our time. 
I think of that uh, last uh, summer when I kept hearing from people over and over again, look at Florida has been to open up, you know, they, they haven't had any problems since that July peak. It's now September, October, November, no big problem. And then the Southern states lit up in the end of December and uh, a third of the residents or a third of the ICUs in Florida were filled. Why did nothing happen for almost four and a half months? And so I hope that uh, California is in a good position in terms of a combination of vaccination and a uh, number of people who were previously immune. But I suspect you have some very vulnerable places in, in California right now that if this virus picks up again, uh, you could see increased activity. Dr. Michael Osterholm, director of the Center for Infectious Disease Research and Policy, University of Minnesota. Doctor, thanks for coming back and talking to us. Social events are starting to come back. Weddings are on again, and so are school events like proms. WBBM's Rob Hartz with Roy Surday, founder of Peaches Boutique in Chicago, about how his business is doing. We were shut down completely for prom and homecoming of 2020. Um, However, we have seen a spike in proms. Um, Starting about the middle of March is when we started finally seeing uh, 2021 prom come to life. are we doing full out normal uh, prom season? Absolutely not. But we're probably doing about 35% of what we should be doing uh, during prom season. Uh, half of it is school sponsored, but believe it or not, half of it is sponsored by parents who have organized these events because uh, they don't want to let their child be two years without uh, memories of, of high school. And uh, with just a, a fraction of the typical prom schedule uh, taking place, how does that impact your business? Um, certainly, it's probably better compared to last year, but it must still be way down compared to 2019. Oh, yeah, we're, we're way down. Uh, in fact, we only were doing 10% of our business um, for the uh, 2020 year. We are now doing about 35%, but it is just barely keeping us uh, alive. Uh, when we did finally get some business, now we're now we're experiencing what most businesses in the country are experiencing is that is get employees to come back to work. So uh, as we have gotten some business, we are now finding the problem is to service a customer in a uh, in a time frame that is convenient is, is comfortable for them. But we're doing the best we can as we go through this uh, thing. This, uh, this uh, prom season. And very quickly, are you experiencing any supply chain issues? Um, we were at the beginning, but we obviously, because of, of what we experienced last year, we all really kind of uh, curtailed our buying for the season. So most of our product was in our house by the, the uh, end of uh, December so that we could be set up and prepared for this in case we did have a prom season. So, um, there are some issues. Yes, manufacturers cut back. So so the ability to get dresses for customers, if the store doesn't have it, they're not going to get it this year. That is a for sure thing. Thanks for joining us this afternoon. Roy Surday, founder of Peaches Boutique. Coming up after this short break, the pandemic has apparently made backside body enhancement a thing now. The pandemic certainly didn't stop people from enhancing themselves. We're not talking about the front, though. We're talking about the back. Butt implants are a big thing. Dr. Michelle Lee, board-certified plastic surgeon, founder of Perk Cosmetic Surgery in Beverly Hills. So, doctor, how do people want their butts to look? Well, you know, I think people want to have a natural shape to their bodies. You can do two things. You can either 
transfer your fat or recycle your fat from another part of your body and then inject it into the buttock area. Or if you don't have enough fat to recycle, you can use buttock implants. So why do you think this was the thing that people kept getting done over the last, you know, year and a half? Well, I, I think cosmetic surgery overall has increased. Americans spent over $9 billion on, buttock, I mean, on cosmetic surgery overall. Um, I think people have a lot more downtime um, at home and obviously under the influence of the Kardashians to have a very shapely uh, figure. Now, what exactly is used in the butt? Um in terms of buttock implants, they're custom implants using silicone implants. You also can use your own fat. Uh, it's actually a much safer way to use your own fat versus buttock implants, just because sitting on implants actually not the greatest idea. Uh, we always try to steer people to use either non-surgically to enhance their buttock size by using things like Sculptra, which is a non-invasive um, way to enhance your buttock shape, or um, using fat from your own body. What does it feel like when you're sitting on it? Uh, buttock implant, if, well, it's not the area where you're actually sitting down. It's a little bit higher up, so you're not actually sitting on the implant. Is this uh, male and female or, or what? The majority of the patients are female, but we do see a small population of male patients as well. Why am I not surprised there's like a Kardashian effect here? As you uh, mentioned earlier. Uh, yes, you know? well, of, of course. It's Instagram, right, <laughs> yeah. doctor? People see it, and then well, they want it. When you think butt, you think Kardashian. <laughs> <laughs> we mentioned um, too much time staring at yourself. Have you noticed that? It, people trying to, because there was the whole Zoom, like, dysmorphia thing. We're not used to look, I mean, lots of people look at themselves in the mirrors or take selfies or whatever, but the constant sitting on the computer, and then you start to just critique everything. Is that something that you've noticed in the people you've been working on? Oh, absolutely. Actually, the biggest procedure we're seeing in our practice is an increase in facelifts and neck lifts, just because everyone's on a Zoom meeting, and then you see yourself on the Zoom camera, and you see your double chin, and you see your sagging skin. So even though you're wearing a mask, um, more and more people are getting facelifts and jawline contouring, just because they for for the first time, are staring at themselves in a meeting. So when would-be patients come to see you, are they usually pretty upfront about what they want, or do they kind of, I know, are they shy about it and you have to kind of pull it out of them, or do they just come in and say, I want uh, my Botox, I want my, my, my butt implant? Did they just say it, or do they kind of, you know, dance around it? Oh, no, patients are very upfront about it, because right now um, you can find cosmetic videos on YouTube, on Instagram, so they actually know exactly what they want. And the patients are very knowledgeable right now. And I think the stigma around cosmetic surgery has dramatically decreased. So patients are very upfront and they understand they have to communicate clearly to the doctor. I was going to ask, especially with the Botox thing, has that changed over the last however many years that, you know, that's not like a, a taboo thing anymore, like a whole bunch of people get Botox? Oh, yeah, absolutely. And right now, more and more people are doing preventative Botox because they don't want to wait until their lines have formed. They just want to get it before they form any creases on their uh, forehead. So, uh, of course, in insurance typically doesn't cover cosmetic procedures, right, unless there's some medical necessity. So right. uh, uh, things like a butt uh, implant, are these things that are really for people that got a lot of money? How expensive is this? 
you know, surprisingly, plastic surgery, um, it's not just for people who have a lot of money. The prices range depending on what kind of procedures you're getting. Um, insurance will not cover this, uh, we wish, but it definitely doesn't. So, so the butt, Unless, the, the butt in, uh, implant, what does that cost? Uh, it ranges between ten to $20,000. That's a lot of money. <laughs> Even if, I mean, really, I mean, 10, you, you know, you're saying that that you don't have to have a lot of money, but ten to $20,000 is a lot of money. It is, you know, but there are lots of financing um, options. You know, insurance do cover procedures where if you were in a car accident and all of a sudden you have a deformity or indentation on your body or your buttock area, I have seen insurance cover those because that's more reconstructive. What was it like for you over the course of, you know, the last, you know, a year and a half with the pandemic? Because I think the sense was what, we're at home, so I have more downtime. If there's like a recovery period, I can be at home anyways. No one has to see me. But did everyone kind of rush you and and when it was super unsafe to, to do things and we were all still questioning or has that worked out okay? Well, you know, we follow the guidelines of the city, and I think most practices all shut down when there was a mandatory shutdown. But once everything reopened, there was just a huge boom of um, cosmetic surgery. I have patients who say they don't go to the grocery store, but they still get their Botox and fillers. Is there something new? Priorities. <laughs> right, priorities. <laughs> Is there something new um, that maybe we're not thinking of that, that's becoming really trendy that, that, you know, people will go, oh, I didn't know I can do that? Well, you know, people are going towards a more natural look and using a lot of their own um, fat, they're using their own growth factors um, to regenerate um, themselves as opposed to using synthetic things. And there's a huge push towards that. A lot of people are getting their breast implants out and using fat grafting um, to kind of enhance their breasts. So there's definitely a trend for a more natural looking um, plastic surgery as opposed to looking like Instagram face. Dr. Michelle Lee, board-certified plastic surgeon, founder of Perk Cosmetic Surgery in Beverly Hills. Doctor, thanks. Dogs have been trained to smell if someone is infected by COVID. That seems to make sense, considering dogs have a keen sense of smell. Dutch researchers, though, are using a different creature that's creating a buzz. They've trained bees to identify samples infected with COVID-19, a finding they say could cut wait times for test results to just seconds. Turns out bees have a great sense of smell, too. <laughs> Go figure. To train the bees, researchers gave them sugary water as a reward after showing them samples infected with COVID-19. They would get no reward after being shown a non-infected sample. The bees were then able to spontaneously extend their tongues to receive a reward when presented with an infected sample. Like that must that. look so adorable. Yeah. Give me the food. I found yeah, one. That must look so cute if you're, <laughs> if, you're, if you're a bee anyway. Thank you to the bees. Uh, this is an Odyssey original. You can find us on the Odyssey app, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Stitcher. Stitcher.